Thank you, Doug and Angela. Good morning again. Oh, let me get myself situated here. So, Second Chronicles chapter 26. We mentioned this morning that uh, the chronicler sort of divides this section into two. He first talks about the good in chapter in verses one through fifteen, and then he turns to the bad in 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 uh, uh, verses sixteen and forward. Um, some of the points we made earlier this morning had to do with the fact that success. We, we stated that success is a good, a tremendous good, if it comes from the Lord and if it's used for the Lord and for His purposes. We sort of stated that true success, or success in its truest sense, only comes from the Lord and that if we experience success, and we should as Christians, and again, we're defining success very differently than the way we typically use the word um, as we speak to people, but success should be used for the benefit of the Lord and for others. It is a platform for service and for uh, furthering the cause of Christ. So we said, first of all, that success is a tremendous good. The second point we need to make, and this now comes uh, 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 starting in, in verse 16 of chapter 26, the flip side of that is that success is a tremendous danger if we don't guard against pride. Someone has said, and don't know who exactly, but someone has said that the human being is the only creature that you can pat on the back and his head swells up. Hmm? Uzziah started believing his own press clippings. And that's what we see sort of at the end of, of uh, verse 15. He had experienced tremendous success. The Lord had given him that success. The Lord had allowed him to prosper as a result of his faithfulness in seeking God and be faithful to, to, to the Word of God. But at some point... He started believing his own press clippings and his pride led to his fall. In one hour, folks, listen, and we know this to be true because we've seen it outside and inside the church as well. In one hour, he ruined a prosperous lifetime as a successful king. When King Uzziah became strong, his heart was lifted up. And that led him to enter 
Here's the issue. Here's what he did. That led him to enter the holy place in the temple to offer incense to the Lord. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, the law of Moses, which he would have had, restricted that duty to the priests. And Uzziah was not a priest. Now look, keep your place here in Chronicles and go to Numbers for a moment. Numbers chapter 18. And I'm going to read the first seven verses of Numbers 18. So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's household with you shall bear the guilt uh, in connection to the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear the guilt in connection with your priesthood. But bring with you also your brothers, the tribe of Levi, the, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. And they shall thus attend to the obligation and the obligation of all the tent, but they shall not come near to the furnishings of the sanctuary and the altar or both they and you will die. They shall be joined with you and attend to the obligations of the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent, but an outsider may not come near you. So you shall attend to the obligations of the sanctuary and the obligations of the altar so that there will no longer be wrath on the sons of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken your fellow Levites from among the sons of Israel. They are a gift to you dedicated to the Lord to perform the service for the tent of meeting. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil, and you are to perform service. I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Pretty clear. Only the Messiah Jesus would combine the offices of priest and king. I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm speculating here, but I, I, I think it may be a fair speculation since it's probably the experience of every single one of us as, as fallen individuals. I, I, I think probably Uzziah rationalized a bit, which is what we tend to do when we want to somehow validate or justify something that is questionable. I don't know, perhaps Uzziah rationalized and said, yes, I, I know the law of Moses, but let's not be legalistic. I mean, I've done very well leading the people politically. 
And they also need a strong religious leader. I mean, not being able to offer incense um, weakens my ability to lead and maybe damages my public image some. Besides, and, and this is where we tend to get in trouble, it's for a spiritual cause. Hmm? Hmm? It's to enhance worship. And all the foreign kings do it anyway. Does it sound familiar? I'm not saying that's what he did. I'm saying that's what I do. And thus I must conclude that others do. And he falls among others. We tend to rationalize, even spiritualize, questionable things. And the fact that we're even rationalizing ought to be the red flag. Right? If it's right we would know it's right. If we're rationalizing, there's a question about its rightness. That in itself should cause us to pause. It wasn't gross immorality. It wasn't idolatry what he was doing here. So what's the problem? Here's the problem, folks. God forbade it. Mm. <laughs> And that's enough. What does God forbid us to do? That we're doing because we've rationalized it. Hmm? It was forbidden. Like another man in the Bible that has a similar name, Yuza, in Second Samuel chapter 6, you remember he was struck dead for doing what? Touching the ark of the covenant. Why? It was forbidden. Uzziah, listen to me, and, 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 and this is what sometimes happens and we don't realize we do this, but certainly Uzziah presumed on the holiness of God, taking upon himself a task that required holiness. Uzziah was rendered essentially ceremonially unclean for the rest of his life. Three things I want us to learn about pride. First, pride is at the heart of all sin. Turn for a moment to Isaiah chapter 14. Keep your place in Second Chronicles. Isaiah chapter 14, I want to read two verses in that chapter. Gives us a bit of a foundation here. In this passage, verses 13 and 14, the prophet is speaking of the king of Babylon, but most Bible scholars agree that he goes beyond the human king and speaks of Satan's fall. Here's what he says. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I 
will raise my throne about the, above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recess of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan's original sin was pride that led him to exalt himself above who? God. And he dangled the very same temptation before Eve. You remember the words of Genesis chapter 3 verse 5? If you eat this fruit, listen, you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. Listen, that's where we find the beginning of the self-esteem movement. Which invariably pulls God down and lifts us up. Satan was essentially, in the statement he makes to Eve, he was essentially implying that God was keeping Eve from realizing her full potential. If you eat, you will. And God's telling you not to. See? But if you want to be like, you're going to have to. What would you like? Ever since the human race fell into sin, all sin at its core consists of the arrogance of us saying, paraphrase it however you want, I know better than God. I know better than His ways. I don't need to submit to God or God's authority. I am my own authority. I can be like God. It's all. At the core, it's pride. But Scripture says, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 5, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Listen, if you want to avoid being opposed by God, and if you want to experience or you want to have His grace in your life, we must judge every proud thought and grow in humility. Let me give you some interesting quotes from some of the, uh, uh, one of the reformers, John Calvin. Uh, wrote this, a saying of Christendoms or Chrysostoms has always pleased me very much. The foundation of our philosophy is humility, but that of Augustine pleases me even more. When a certain rhetorician was asked what was the chief rule of in eloquence, he replied, delivery. What was the second rule? Delivery. What was the third rule? Delivery. So if you ask me, 
concerning the precepts of the Christian religion, first, second, third, and always, I would answer humility. And then he further quotes from Augustine and he says, why do we presume so much on ability of human nature? Wow, I mean, they go right to the issue. It is wounded, battered, troubled, lost. What we need is true confession, not false defense. Again, when, you, when anyone realizes that in himself he is nothing and from himself he has no help, the weapons within him are broken, the, war, the wars are over. But all the weapons of impiety must be shattered, broken, and burned. You must remain unarmed. You must have no help in yourself. The weaker you are in yourself, the more readily the Lord will receive you. And then Calvin concludes that section and he says, but I require only that laying aside the disease of self-love and ambition by which he is blinded and, thanks, uh, and thinks more highly of himself than he ought, he rightly recognizes himself in the faithful mirror of scripture listen the closer we draw to the word the closer we draw to God the more it confronts our pride our self-reliant nature and it drives us to find our all in all which we sang about in Christ I mean even the Apostle Paul was given a thorn in the flesh to help him from exalting himself. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Because of, of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. See, we can always reach a place in which God has given us a measure of success. And we always run the risk of now taking credit for that success. We start believing our own news clippings. We start taking credit for those successes. Paul could have had the Lord not given him a thorn in the flesh to remind him. That which you have experienced is because of me. And it's about me. And it will always be about me. So he says, To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. You see the danger? What would exalting self, how would exalting self uh, be defined or what word would we have used had he exalted self pride in order to prevent him from becoming prideful he was given a thorn in the flesh
In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul wrote, And what do you have that you did not receive? Oh, wow. Huh? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? That was the problem with Uzziah. He reached the point where he was no longer acknowledging receipt of from. It's me. I am now the man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12, Paul wrote, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Hmm? Could he have been thinking of? I'm probably not, but I'm just saying. Could he have been thinking of Uzziah when he wrote that? Galatians 6 verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Get the point? Now let me ask a question. How... how How is it that the American church has widely embraced a teaching for which there is absolutely no support in Scripture? And that's the teaching that our emotional problems stem from self-esteem. Scripture says, listen, Scripture says, Pride is at the root of sin, at the heart of all sin. And you can understand why this entire ideology or, or, or philosophy or even theology of self-esteem can be detrimental. You remove the element of pride which is at the core of all sin, and now it becomes something else other than that. Look at, let's go back to Second Chronicles, chapter 26. We're going to read verses 17 and 18. Then Azariah, the priest, entered after him. Now, here's the context is, you know, Uzziah's now gone in and, and done what he did. In verse 17, then Azariah the priest entered after him, and with him 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. They opposed Uzziah, the king, and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the son of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary. For you have been unfaithful and will not honor and will not and will have no honor from the Lord God. Wow, what a turn of events here. When Uzziah arrogantly went in to offer the incense, Azariah and 80 priests courageously confronted a powerful and indeed a popular king. 
There's a second thing we need to learn about pride here. Pride is typically revealed by an angry response to godly correction. Now, yes, there are other marks of pride. I'm only going to focus in on this one because this one's sort of one of the ones that is, that is, is pointed out in, in this passage. But invariably, if you're filled with pride, and this was the case with Uzziah, you will react with indignation when a godly person tries to warn you or correct you. Have you ever done that? And if you did, think about why. Could it be pride? See, when you become as powerful and as successful of Uzziah, and I understand that Uzziah was powerful and successful and became very famous, and we tend to think that because we read those things that way, we tend to think that it only happens to them. Again, success, and I use this in terms of the use of those words only, is relative. I may not be a king. I may never be a president. I may never be a successful president. I may never be famed as a president. Does it mean I don't experience success? Of course I do. And it is at that point of success that I'm vulnerable. Whatever that success looks like, right? Make sense? So whatever success God is giving you, whatever fame, and by fame I mean it from a biblical standpoint, not, you know, film star, superstar type of fame, but whatever God has given you as a success, as fame, as trust, as respect, in the eyes of whomever, that's your point of vulnerability if you don't take every prideful thought captive. Because then you're vulnerable to taking now credit for those things. And no longer is it success as given by God. And it's no longer used for the Lord or for others. It becomes about me. Which is pride. But certainly when you become as powerful and as successful as Uzziah, you can start thinking that you're accountable to no one. Wasn't that the case here? We'll see it in the reaction of Uzziah. I mean, your hard work, this is how we start thinking, our hard work, our intelligence, our education, is what got me this far. Ah, so it's not about receiving all good things from him. It's about me creating those good things. See? Here's a danger that we all face. We stop listening to those who challenge us. And we start gathering around us, yes, men and women. And we talked about that, right, a week or two ago? We stop going to the ones who will give us good feedback, biblical feedback, and we start going to those who will help rationalize or validate or justify what we want to do. 
Have we not been there? And aren't we always vulnerable to doing that? Absolutely. It's very interesting. Don't, don't miss this because you see the, 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 what happens. It's very interesting that earlier in his career, Uzziah accepted the counsel of the godly Zechariah. Right? We read that earlier this morning. But now he angrily rejects the counsel of 81 godly priests. Interesting, huh? I'm the king. The priest can't tell me what to do. Ironically, Uzziah sought honor for himself, but the priests tell him plainly in verse 18, you have been unfaithful. Whatever you think about yourself, King Uzziah, whatever pride is making itself say to you, whatever you feel, whatever you think, whatever credit you think you can take for your successes and your accomplishments, it doesn't matter, King Uzziah. The, how the Lord sees it is this way. You have been unfaithful. Why? You have done something that God forbade you to do. Period. You have been unfaithful, and listen, you will have no honor from the Lord God. And verse 19a says it all. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. At what? What the Lord had commanded him not to do? Is, it, is that not what he was enraged about? Is not that what he was confronted with? The priests weren't giving him personal opinions or suggestions or they were simply reiterating that he had been unfaithful because they could point to something in the word that said that. And he was enraged at the 81 priests because they reminded him of something God said. Listen to me. That's a very good test of humility. How do you respond to correction? Do you examine your heart before God and admit you're wrong? Or do you lash back? Because it confronted you with something you've sought to rationalize away. Or are you angry and defensive? Hmm? That, that's a good test of humility. And then there's a third lesson. Pride that has gone unjudged or undealt with results in God's discipline. 
Look at verse 20. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests. Well, let me go back to verse 19. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priests, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. Azariah and the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they hurried him out of there, and he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. Just principles we're drawing. Okay, understand? No. The proper context. It's a historical narrative. We, but some, some interesting points that could be drawn from, from this event. If Uzziah would have repented on the spot, God probably would have been gracious in restoring him. But he didn't repent. What did he do? Right? He becomes angry at the priests for essentially quoting scripture to him to confront his sin. He didn't repent until he realized that he had been struck with leprosy. Then he realized that God had struck him. So he hastened to get out of the temple, probably, so he wouldn't be struck dead, which was the penalty. Look at verse 21. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and Jotham, his son, was over the king's house judging the people of the land. The Lord never healed Uzziah. He remained a leper until he died. He spent his final years, according to this passage, living in separate quarters. He never again worshipped in the house of the Lord. His son had to carry on the daily affairs of the household and kingdom. When Uzziah died, they didn't even put him in the same tomb with the other kings, but buried him in the field near there so they wouldn't defile the tomb. And look at verse 23. The final comment of his life was not, what a great king, but rather, he was a leper. Was God a bit harsh towards Josiah? Because you know, we, sometimes we think that way. Ah, God, did you have to be that severe? There's no question that his discipline was severe. But listen to me. It was so because the law prescribed death for anyone who was not a priest who entered the holy place. Uzziah could have been struck dead right on the spot. Moral of the story, we better treat God as holy. 
there was a question, uh, well, no time. Um, I'll show that if I have time in the closing here. You know what? And it breaks my heart to have to say this, because, and, and again, it's true of me. But I, to a certain degree, we've lost sight of the awesome holiness of God in our day. The culture has so influenced the church that we now think of things differently and realistically in unholy ways. We would dare to judge God for striking this proud man with leprosy. Listen, we must always guard against the culture influencing our faith and living out that faith. You hear me talking about this whole self-esteem stuff because it really has had an impact in the church. The promoters of this, and they're in the church. I'm not even talking about, you know, I'm, they're in the church. The promoters of this kind of stuff, and that's what I call cultural influence, encourage us to get all our rage out toward God for the trials or the discipline that he places us under for having done something that he clearly said, don't do. And we're being told that we need to almost forgive God. As if he somehow had not just or no just cause for sometimes severely disciplining us. You see what I'm saying? That in and of itself is pride. But have you seen that in the church? You know what happens? The result of that kind of stuff is? The result is that we flippantly bounce into God's presence and forget that we can only draw near to Him through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is critical that the proud Understand this truth. God will not share his glory with me. If a man honors the Lord, and by man I mean man or woman, if we honor the Lord, the Lord will honor us. But, If a man thinks that he is free to disregard God's word and begins exalting himself, he will come under God's discipline. If he's a believer, under God's judgment, if he's not. The more successful we become, and again, in, in that sense, success is a relative term, because it will look differently for us at different times of our lives. But the more successful we become, the more it ought to drive us to our knees with the awareness of our weakness and sin 
so that we cling to God alone as our strength and as our salvation. Let me just close with this story that sort of encapsulates some of the final thoughts here. One evening, the great conductor Arturo Toscanini brilliantly conducted Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. When they finished, the audience went crazy. I mean, they were clapping, they were stamping, stomping their feet, they were whistling. Toscanini bowed and bowed. He signaled the orchestra and the members stood up and they too acknowledged the crowd. Eventually the applause started to subside. Toscanini turned towards his musicians and he looked intently at his musicians and almost uncontrollably he said this, gentlemen, gentlemen, the men of the orchestra leaned forward. They're wondering what had all of a sudden disturbed the maestro. Did we do something wrong? Did we go off note somewhere? Was it a flawed performance? What? What? No, Toscanini was not angry. Toscanini was stirred to the very depths of his being by the sheer magnificence of Beethoven's music. Scarcely able to talk, he whispered fiercely, Gentlemen, I am nothing. And then he says to them, You are nothing. Obviously, that, wasn't, that was hardly news. The members of the orchestra had often heard the same message in rehearsal. But then he says, but Beethoven, he is everything, everything, everything. The point? That's exactly the attitude we need toward ourselves and toward Jesus Christ. We are nothing. He, I mean, nothing, not meaning we are nothing, nothing. We are something, and we're precious. He came to redeem us, but we're nothing. He is everything. If you ever, listen to me, if you ever receive the applause and praises of people for what you do, remember the story of King Uzziah, that the alluring danger of success is pride. And at least to yourself, whisper this verse. Apart from Christ, I can do Nothing. Amen? Let's close. Father, we are something. We are precious to you. How do I know that? Your only son shed his blood for me on that cross. Your precious son condescended himself into this fallen world to redeem me. 
And even though I am precious in your sight and I am a redeemed saint, a child of the living God, compared to you, I am nothing. You are everything. Help us be mindful that you will often give us successes. You will, in a sense, allow us to become known, famed. Maybe, may we be always mindful that when you do so, we are at risk, unless we guard ourselves, of becoming prideful and allowing that pride to completely derail us from your purposes and will. Keep us, keep us, oh Lord, keep us in your word. Give us an insatiable thirst for you so that we may live for you and be conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen.